Hey, are you ready to demonstrate your organization's commitment to data protection and government? And I mean your company, not just you. Boost Brand Trust with AI certification, incorporating principles from industry standards like NIST and the OECD. And you can navigate all of those privacy regulations confidently with TrustArc's robust AI governance solutions. Get a trustee certified privacy seal for your company, signifying organization's commitment to responsible data practices. With trustees' proven methodology over years, you can achieve compliance with AI laws around the world and also enhance your general privacy posture. Secure your brand's competitive advantage with a trusted seal now. Get AI certified today. Visit trustart.com slash AI dash certified. That's trustart.com slash AI dash certified. This is Serious Privacy, powered by Trustart. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. A few weeks ago, the Irish Data Protection Commission announced their decision in the TikTok case. And apart from a fine of 345 million euro, the authority also ordered TikTok to change some of their policies, especially where children and verified consent are concerned. Reason enough for us to dive a little deeper into children's data, age-appropriate design, and what consent for children and their parents should look like. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So I will apologize in advance if I start, if I sound a little weird or start coughing off. I will get that out in editing. Some sort of head chest cold going on. It's going to be wonderful for traveling to Sweden. And as I just told Paul, I bought clothes to bring because I don't know where the ones I brought are since we just moved. But unexpected question of the day. I planned this one in advance. So this one is not unexpected to me. It's a it's an old joke. Uh-oh. What music do you hate the most? And why country? I laugh because I love country, but it is a funny joke. It's not country. I'm, I'm not the biggest country fan, but there are songs that I can appreciate. No, I would say that's probably death metal. Oh, okay. Where you it's know, just the, the grunting and the screaming into a mic where... That's what I, I don't really like. don't understand what the value of that is. That's what I don't like. What is it? There's, I don't know, is it a group or a song, Ramstein or something? Yeah, that's a yeah. German group. That's not my style of music, people. Just saying. It's also not mine. And apologies to everybody who really likes it, but it's just, it's not my music and tastes very, right? My husband loves it. Now, I will say I was on a cruise ship. So this was the cruise band that was out playing in the atrium and playing, you know, the normal rock songs, popular pop songs that people like. And they asked for a request and someone yelled Ramstein and they did it. Oh, wow. That's and I'm not a big fan of the music, but they did a darn good job busting it out and they probably don't get requests like that often so i thought that was awesome so today we're going to talk about i know it's another week in privacy and there have been some significant things that have happened but some of these are actually going to feed into the topic that paul and i are going to talk about today paul which is well the main thing is the tiktok fine that came out yeah. uh, last week the irish dpc awarded 345 million euro in fines to tiktok together with a compliance order and also an official warning. And this is all for violations of children data. So yes. The Data Protection Commission examined how TikTok processed children's data 
among other things, looking at the platform settings, including a so-called family pairing op option, age verification, yep. and also the transparency information for children that you may recall was also the subject of an earlier fine of 400,000 euro from right. the Dutch Data Protection Authority because the transparency information was only available in English. Um, right. But it was also not sufficiently detailed. That was the part that the Dutch did never get to. Um, and that the Irish now addressed also in uh, in this uh, uh, part of their investigation. And the investigation started back in 2021, or at least it was announced in 2021. Um, yeah, they started in September 21. And they looked back at the processing of children's data between the 31st of July and 31st of December of 2020. So it has been a long investigation. And we know that, especially with the Irish DPC, investigations can be long. That's also due to administrative procedural rules and also because of all the fine tuning and alignment and the back and forth with the company and then also again in this case with the EDPB because both the Italian DPA and two of the regional German DPAs in Berlin and Baden-Württemberg had some objections as concerned data protection authorities so they wanted the, the report to be reviewed by the board there was no agreement reached which also meant that dispute resolution mechanism had to be started. To be honest, and this is also something that, that Daryl O'Brien already commented on my LinkedIn feed, actually, this was not the most serious dispute resolution mechanism. And you can wonder, was it really necessary? Mm. Because it wasn't about the fine. It wasn't about how serious the contraventions were. It was mainly because of some additional additional things that the Italian and the German DPAs wanted to have included in the findings of the report. It didn't change the fine, it didn't change the outcome, it also didn't change the reprimand or the compliance order. So yes, the, the procedure was followed, but also get a bit the impression that nothing that the Irish do can be immediately okay in, in front of some of the DPAs. So that was a bit a bit unfortunate, I would say. But if you yeah. look at what the findings were, they were pretty specific. They were, and we can talk about those, but also talk about TikTok's response that they mitigated these back in 2020, 2021 timeframe. They didn't mitigate them fully. Nope. And not to mention, as Paul has discussed on the podcast several times, yes, the regulator can take into account what mitigation actions are taken after the investigation starts, but they have to complete their investigation on what was alleged at the time it's and what the practices true. were at the time. So it's legitimate. I'm sorry. TikTok is bad. We all know that. <laughs> there, there's a lot of bad things in TikTok. A lot of people out there are big TikTok users. I'm sorry. I will never be a fan of TikTok. But the family pairing where they don't even do any type of controls to make sure the adult that is being paired, I'm air quoting here, paired with the child is legally allowed to be paired with the child. I yeah, mean, maybe we should explain that a bit more because it, it, that's true. And this is this is probably one of the more scary features yeah. that is available in, in TikTok. It is intended as a good. Let me also stress that because it is intended for a parent or a guardian to pair their account with mm -hmm. that of their child or children to make sure they can keep some sort of oversight. Right. But if you then do not verify whether the child is actually the child of this parent or of this guardian, then that also opens up the child to right. a lot of potential misuse. 
Yeah. And one of the features of this family pairing is the ability for the adult to switch on direct messaging for the minor. Yeah. Exactly. And so they could be communicating outside any type of guardrails. Of course, you know, the, the same thing, not, not verifying the age of children that are using it. Yes, they locked down 13 to 15, I think, to default privacy, but they didn't verify that kids were actually 13. Um, no, and no- that also means that lots of minors under the age of 13 had and still have uh, TikTok accounts, which, which is a concern. For me, I think the most stupid mistake of all, and, and that is also where I think it should link into to our conversation about age-appropriate design, is that children user accounts were set to public by default. Yeah. And I'm of the opinion that no social media account, whether it's for a ch- child or for an adult, should be set to public by default. It exactly. should always be private by default. Yes. And it should be your choice. But especially if we are talking about children. Yes, that's like a no-brainer. I'm sorry, I'm rolling my eyes at this one. That's a no-brainer. They know they know that their service is attractive to children. They they know children were using the accounts. I mean, I'm sorry. I know COPPA in the U.S. goes with actual knowledge, everything like this. But they they knew it. They knew it, and they do say that they took protections, and those protections were in place before the the decision came out. Not completely. Not completely. Let's go fix this. And heads up to other companies, especially social media companies, there are some takeaways from this decision that you can look at and say, these are the things that we need to tighten up. I mean, one of the things was transparency. They were not transparent about their privacy practices. And especially, and I don't recall that this was specifically mentioned in the decision or in a conversation about the decision later. So Paul, keep me honest here, especially that the privacy notices were not geared towards the younger users. Mm-hmm. So there was no way that child users, and I'm not saying under 13 because they shouldn't have been on there, but the even the older ones, there was no way that the average child could understand the privacy notices that were there, even if they had been fully upfront and talked about it. It's just, it was way too high level, not, not written at a user-friendly level for people to use. And so I think there's a lot of lessons that could come out of this that could apply to other companies as well. But it does lead us into what are some of the laws out there that specifically talk to protecting children. And the first one that comes to mind for most people is the UK's age-appropriate design code, which has been setting standards for a while now. And we can make sure that we give you the link to this one as well. And we'll also say that the FPF, Future Privacy Forum does a fantastic job of comparing the California age-appropriate design code and with the UK one because California adopted one as well. So there is a wonderful comparison. We'll make sure that we give you the link to that out there as you have it. But Paul, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the age-appropriate design codes and what they're doing and what they're supposed to be doing? Um, Well, the first thing a few things actually come to mind. One, I never worked with them because I've never worked for a company that does business-to-consumer products aimed at children. Kadawiki is only intended for 18+, plus for adults, and none of the other companies I've worked with were aimed at children. So okay. that that's one. Two, I think there were not enough of these codes, or at least they should embrace more widely, because the ones that we um, actively know of 
are uh, the UK and California. And those are key markets. But I think it would be good if also uh, the EDPB, the European Data Protection Board, would develop something similar or just endorse either of the existing codes, maybe with some caveats on, on how it aligns um, with GDPR. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I will say that if you go look up you know, tracking child privacy laws, all of the state laws in the U.S. that have been passed already, all of them include data from children in their sensitive data categorization. So this is something that is becoming a a default in the U.S. state omnibus privacy laws as protecting data from children. And this is big for the U.S. because until then, we really only had COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which is federal and which has every year for the past decade or more faced revisions in trying to upgrade COPPA to include children 13 to 15 or something along that line. And most of you are aware that California's CCPA actually does include enhanced actions that you have to take for the kids right there in that age, 13 to 15. So there are some perspectives that protect children that are built into other laws, but they're not the child age appropriate design code, which puts a huge onus on the companies that are developing products, online products for children or for families to actually bake in these privacy by design requirements. And I know most companies out there aren't absolutely thrilled at having those, but let's be honest, most companies out there aren't actually absolutely protecting children's data either. So if you can't rely on the industry to police itself, then you have to pass legislation to make it happen. Now, I think Oregon just tried to pass one, but it died Mm -hmm. in committee before it got live. Utah just passed an online social media law. I say just passed, but I'm not sure I really like it. A lot of companies are up and upset about it and everything because of the age verification codes and the things it does. I think what it proposes is actually bad for privacy. Because, because it requires evidence. And so they have to collect more information than they would normally collect in order to verify age. It goes way beyond COPPA. But isn't that, isn't that the basic principle of wanting to protect children? If you need to verify, go, let's, let's go back to TikTok. Um, you can create an account when you're 13. Your account will be set, at least under the new rules, by default to private for everyone between 13 and 15. And if you are 16, then you can make a, a choice during a setup if you want it to be private or public. So that means that either they need to trust you on your blue eyes, which for children, social media account might not be the best way because we know that people just say, oh, no, I'm 13, even when there are nine or 10 in order to get an account and, and have the experience. And the same for, for connecting an adult account, a parental account. You need evidence for that. So yeah. there will need to be some sort of data verification taking place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And some of the other things that you know people say went overboard is you know they're limiting the time that children can spend online. You and I talked about this a little bit in the past because I think it was Japan as well that passed restrictions mm-hmm. for how long children could actually be spend online. Of course, France, parents can right? go in and change that. France as well, I think. Yeah. 
I think France did as well. I'll look back up that episode to make sure where we talked about that. But it's it's interesting that they did it. We're seeing some other states across the country trying to do something similar to that. But I think I think this is a this is a really big challenge that we have not been to get able your arms to, around it right to solve. How do we really make sure that we protect children's data while also respecting their privacy and that of their parents or guardians? Yeah. Because creating any kind of account, children that are of a certain age should be able to do that also under the GDPR. But in order to do that, you need some sort of verification that they indeed have that age. And then, of course, here in Europe, we have the additional hurdle that the age of consent is not harmonized across the European Union. We still have those different age ranges between 13 and 16 in all the EU member states. And we don't even know for sure because there is no EDPB guidance and no explicit statement in the GDPR if that is the location of the child or the location of the data controller or the data processor, as you might expect given the logic of the GDPR, but which is not logic if you look at that the member states can have different ages of consent. In short, it's a mess. Yeah. And how are we going to solve this, Kate? Tell me. Oh, there, there, that's the thing. There isn't a real solution out there that, that comes to mind. I mean, some of the dangers of the Utah one is once everything is in place, you've verified the age, you've verified the parent by collecting more sensitive information, whether it's biometric or driver's licenses or whatever, which we're never really in favor of. But on the other hand, how do you prove relationship and everything is really, really difficult, mm -hmm. but it goes further. And once you, you do approve that child's account, not only is there a curfew, but it gives the parents access to the children's private messages. Now, some would say, oh, that's wonderful. You should do this. But this was the same thing we were talking about. Apple turning on the parental controls is that the parents would then have access to everything that the children do or somebody would have access to everything the children do. And those messages are private. And if we're going to protect the privacy of children, how do we do that without going too far and making sure that we're compromising them further? Most of the states that are passing these laws are what here in the U.S. they call the red states. And so they they are leaning for, further into parents knowing what their children are doing and being able to, in some way, control their access, especially online and in apps, to other people. Well, what happens if the child is completely opposite parents? And this has nothing to do with red and blue. Let's say the child is trans or the child is gay or the child is going through some problems with their parents. They're abusive. They're alcoholic. This gives the child basically no outreach other than mm -hmm. in-person activities to be able to help the child cope. Um, Whereas so, most of a child's social life nowadays, yeah. or at least a large part, would also happen online. It is. But, you know, you can go the other direction and say, yeah, but if my child is talking to a predator, I want to know, mm -hmm. you know, and you see all these videos now that are showing up that parents have hired people to pretend to be someone and befriend them on social media and arrange to meet them. And they show up and it's a cop going, you seriously were at 13 years old, took an Uber down to so-and-so to meet someone for, you know, whatever. So trying to show the dangers of what these are, it's crazy. But I mean, there's no magic answer out there. This is a technology that is an ingrained part of our lives now. How do we protect those that are most vulnerable? I so mean, how it is would this interesting. Work? How would this work under COPPA? Well, under COPPA, you're supposed to go through parental verification, the 
the way they do the parental verification actually isn't parental verification. Let's be honest. Tell tell me more because I don't know the details and I guess most (laughs) of our listeners also don't. And I'll post these details on COPPA, but it would be easy for a savvy child to get around the parental requirements here. What it is, is the parent is supposed to be signing the child up and then they send a confirmation email. Now that confirmation email could come immediately, but should also come delayed because if the person that's signing it up says, yes, I'm the parent and they give the parent's email, well, two days later, they may get an email that says your child signed up for this service. You need to know if this was not you, let us know immediately. Mm -hmm. Thinking that if the savvy child is watching the parent's email at the time, then they might miss it two days later. But savvy children create emails pretending to be their parents. <laughs> they use you mean credit- like we, like we, not necessarily me, but like we used to answer also- the phone from school. Your child has been out sick too often. Oh yes, thank you very much. Yeah, or just write the absence note or a yeah. note explaining why you were late for class and things exactly. like that, and signing it on behalf of my father. Right, it will, and they use credit cards as proof of an adult, at least, maybe not the parent, but at least of an adult Mm -hmm. to be able to prove that you have the ability. But even around that, you have so many people that are not the parents signing kids up for things legitimately, grandparents, aunt and uncles, older siblings, signing them up for different activities and different things they can do. It's not parental verification. No, it's not. And and I mean, credit cards work to a certain extent, especially in the U.S., where at least say everybody an has a dozen credit cards. But here in Europe, credit cards are not as as common yeah. as they are in the U.S. Yeah. And bank verification also would not work. So you very quickly go down to the road of identity cards, which is not yeah. something that you want to have on file with a Meta or with a ByteDance, the, the, the mother company of TikTok or whoever. Because it's an increased risk of of identity theft in case of a data breach. And and how do you know they are actually stored securely and all of that? Well, yeah, this goes way beyond kids. I mean, the ability to prove identity online goes back to that age old meme. It wasn't a meme at the time of dog using the Internet. You could Mm -hmm. be anyone on the Internet. Yeah. And then the follow up cartoon 20 years later. Oh, no, it's it's a brown lab and he is. Uh, living together with a white bastard and they're sleeping together. Exactly. So, I mean, there isn't an easy answer, but kudos to those that are trying to pass legislation to make it a little easier, putting the onus on the companies to design code right to begin with. But Mm -hmm. I will say that in pulling up the Arizona code, there is a challenge to the Arizona code. Um, so on September 18th, the United States District Court for the Northern District of California granted NetChoice, which is a advocacy agency, motion for a preliminary injunction enjoining enforcement of the age-appropriate design code. So they have an injunction where it can't do anything yet because they're anticipating that this this case will proceed, saying that it may violate the First Amendment. And so what they're saying is that, let me see if I can pull up the exact story. Hold on. Freedom of speech argument in order yes. not to protect children. Yes. It, it, yeah. Wow. It goes beyond me. So it's interesting in this, it's the latest. There are several state level internet regulations they're trying to block. They say that they're trying to raise this issue to the United States Supreme Court, which they are trying very much to do so. 
There were several provisions that said it would unlawfully target legal speech, quoting, although the stated purpose of the act, protecting children while they're online, is important. NetChoice has shown that it is likely to succeed on the merits of its argument that the provisions of the age-appropriate design code intended to achieve that purpose do not pass constitutional muster. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting, watching this go forward and what it's going to be. And they really are trying to uh, get more cases to the United States Supreme Court. The, there was a brief by the Biden administration from the U.S. Solicitor General urging the Supreme Court to take both Florida and Texas pass laws making it illegal for large social platforms to suspend or punish users, citing allegations that the major platforms are biased against conservatives. So we're coming back to this red-blue here in the United States. There was a series of temporary injunctions. Don't know where they're going to go. They're hoping to put pressure on the Supreme Court to take up these cases and speak to them. So they're talking about content moderation when we come here. So it's not the same thing as the children, but it is taking up this issue of protecting online or not protecting online, monitoring content, monitoring use, proving age, not proving age, who can use it, who can't use it. Is it conservative? Is it liberal? Do the private companies have the right to do all this? So this is, I I have no doubt the Supreme Court will take it up, but I also have no doubt, like several of the other decisions that we've been very hopeful of on the privacy realm, they (laughs) narrow it to the very specific facts of those cases, and you can't really extrapolate them across broader use of Internet. Now, quite often, the courts say that they can't because of the limitations of understanding the full realm of the technology and that they might have unintended consequences on future uses or prohibitions. So. It's kind of like the purpose in and of itself. Where are we going to get some clarity on how to protect people? Can't people just all get along? (laughs) No. No. Human nature. I'm just wondering if there is a, if there could be a a role here also for governments and probably in the US that would be a hard no, but to develop some sort of mechanism to allow for the verification. Yes, this is a minor. Yes, they were born on date X. And yes, these uh, people are indeed their parents and they give their consent. There are Without some giving businesses the out there to... that actually can do consent processes that are outside the actual company. So it's a third party that would do it. So all the information would stay with them. And if the parents and the children have verified for other apps and other purposes, mm-hmm. it gives them a streamlined experience. But the information doesn't then go back to the company that's offering the service. Yeah. So... That is one way of doing it. I can't remember the name of the company that does it. Well, They're I know there is popular. IoT in the UK that, that does some sort of age verification. Yeah. I know that in Belgium, the government is looking at and testing actually um, to introduce a public data vault, which you could use for something like this. The UK is actually probably most ahead on this because they, for a long time, were trying to introduce and probably are still trying to introduce also an online pornography filter so that you could not watch pornography if you were not of age and then you needed to be verified mm-hmm. that you were mature enough to to watch adult content. Also, that would go through third-party service providers, but in the end, the mechanisms were not secure enough, so the right. law was never enacted to actually make this happen, or at least as, as far as I'm aware. Maybe those 
public or even private data vaults that have that verification mechanism could play a role here. Yeah. And this it's is one all... way of looking at, at least it's, it's, it's a centralized place, but of course it's a private offering. It's not run by the government, although maybe the government could run something like that, which you're talking about over in Europe <laughs> and make it a central vault for being yeah, able to do Yeah, something like that. I mean, the government has a lot of your data anyway, so... Yeah, they already do. It's not like they're getting anything extra. No, and they probably would have the best way to objectively verify that information is indeed true. At the same time, how it would work in practice, and probably the companies wanting to rely on that would need to pay a fee to the government as well to be able to... to use those verification mechanisms or something but, like that. But I'll throw out there, but how do you know that the person using it is the person that's claiming those credentials? Also true. I mean, then you have to do some sort of biometrics or photo or something well, and children change. You can use multifactor authentication yeah. where indeed, you, I mean, we have a sort of a, a data vault with the Dutch government as well, where we are able to use our national identification number in combination with an email address and a QR code and a PIN code on multiple devices. And probably a phone text. No, it's not a phone text. It's it's a mobile app. So you need to okay. log into a website and you get uh, an app authenticator. Yeah. Then you first get the request to add an authentication code and then you need to scan from a second device a QR code that, that then confirms that it is a secure link. So this is a pretty pretty secure system, to, to be honest. Well, I don't know why the computers or the tablets just wouldn't come with a pin prick so you could, you know, scrape off some DNA, DNA? or blood or something. <laughs> well, maybe because that's special categories of data and that's not something that, you know. But this is all about verification. Um, yeah. But there are, of course, other issues as well. And, and we mentioned one of them already, and that's transparency. Yeah. Um, Actually, this, is, this is going back to the same question my children used to ask me years ago. Why do you write privacy notices that you know no one's ever going to read? Because we have to tell them what we're doing and we have no other way of telling them other than telling them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And basically, to be honest, you want to basically give people a test to see, have you read the information? Just fill out the right answer and otherwise you cannot continue. Right. Yeah. Well, and some of these tests that they do for age verification that are simple multiplication or something, I just scratch my head at and I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. Is that what I you're swear asking? my child could do it better than I could. Yeah, that might also not be the the question that you want to ask, right? Right. But if you Sorry, my phone just started to... Well, but there are some things you can do, even with the the simple age verification questions, because a lot of times, you know, you ask the person how old they are, ask them to put in their birth date, and they put in their real one, and then they're like, wee, 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 you're not over 13, wee, wee, yeah. wee. And so the person just backspaces and puts it in again. So the company needs to prohibit backspacing and reiterating. Yeah. But... That also means that the person could just open up a different browser window and go to the same website and do it again. The only way you could present that would be having cookies. and Or IP recognition. Or IP recognition, something that does this. So they can go to another computer and do it. We all know there's ways of work around it. But mm -hmm. seriously, if your seven-year-old knows that many ways of working around it, you're not going to stop them anyway. Probably not, no. I, but 
one of the things I saw recently also fits into this whole discussion. The Dutch EPA has also become the uh, oversight body for artificial intelligence in the Netherlands. Mm. And they're making a lot of fuss about that at the moment. They're not making any fuss about data protection at the moment, unfortunately. No investigation has been published for the past five months or so. But Mm. for AI, they are making a lot of announcements. And one of them is that they have recently asked a tech company, without specifying which one, about how their chatbot functions. And the chatbot is part of a mobile app that is popular with children. Mm. And the Dutch EPA wants to know how transparent the chatbot itself is about how they use user data. For example... Are children informed that they are talking to a computer or are they talking to a real person? Things like that. And that kind of transparency could also, of course, be offered in the, in the chat itself without having to rely upon a whole notice or statement or whatsoever, but just having as part of the opening back and forth, Hey, how can I help you send a message? Do you realize that you are talking to a computer? Yes, no. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. And and again, this hmm. is not something that would be unique to children's data. It's actually right. something that would be relevant for adults' data as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about this. We're talking about protecting children, but as discussed when we were on the prior one, the, the law in France is children and vulnerable mm-hmm. populations. Vulnerable pop or was it vulnerable populations or people with disabilities? It might have no, been I people th- with disabilities, and it didn't clarify what kind of disabilities because you could be disabled without impacting your mental faculties. Mm-hmm. But it's it's children and vulnerable populations. They don't even have to be disabled, e- even disabled mentally. They don't have to be. You could be elderly to where you don't understand the technology, or you know maybe you're unfortunately just not as sharp as you used to be. I'm assuming that's going to happen you're just to me tired. about 10 years ago. Maybe you're just damn tired because you've right. had a rough week at work or your children are being annoying or... I was going to say, or you're completely stressed out and there's too much noise and ruckus going around you. I mean, that's one of the best ways to be able to do the, uh, what do they call it? Social engineering? Yeah. One of the best ways they used to do the social engineering is people call up and they got babies crying and dogs barking and sirens going in the background and they make it seem really urgent and frantic and the person can't think and please God, just give me this information. Those people are vulnerable too. Yeah. Anytime you're, if I don't have enough chocolate or caffeine, I'm vulnerable. Trust me. (laughs) Well, a lot of people, you give them too much chocolate or, or alcohol and they're vulnerable. But it's anytime that your, your thought processes are not running the way you'd like to run in order to pick up opportunities yeah. where you might be be being scammed. So how vulnerable are you if we give you a lot of fish next week in Sweden? I'm okay with fish. Good. Because you're going to eat a lot of it. And you need to let me know if there's something in particular from the U.S. you like so I can grab it and bring it to you too. But yeah, it's... These are not easy problems and the technology is getting better and better. And unfortunately, the technology for solving the problems doesn't seem to be getting better at the same rate as the technology that would be creating the problems. <laughs> and to yeah. be honest, we understand it's not technology, but individuals are not equipped to protect themselves against this level of technology and the vulnerabilities that they introduce into someone's life as the companies who build the technologies are. 
We don't like necessarily putting the onus on the companies, but as Paul and I have said before, it's the companies that know more about it. They know where they're sharing data and how they're using data and how they're combining data and what they're doing with it. (laughs) They're the ones that have the knowledge and the ability to protect individuals. But no, that doesn't mean the individuals should be let off the hook. They should be aware enough of putting themselves in a vulnerable position. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. But children don't. Most children don't. Not all children. Most children don't. We we will continue this conversation and we're looking forward. I mean, we say that every week, but we really mean it. And especially on topics like this. Yeah. We look forward to hear your comments. We would love to continue this conversation. See, even if we can find something that will look like what could be a solution at some point. I have no idea if we can. Maybe we, by discussing it more and brainstorming more, we may get to to some ideas. But join us for that conversation. Right. Um, you and can do that on LinkedIn. And give a shout out to those. And let's give a shout out to those that do contact us or mention us on LinkedIn, especially that say that some episode we did or something we said really helped them. Either helped them through a problem or helped them through a certification or at least let them know of the weird things that were happening, you know, in their realm right now. So whether it's new privacy professionals or those that have been here for a while and maybe they've been distracted by other things, anything that we can do to help, that's what we're here to do. We love it. We love what we do. And we sure that we can learn a lot more from y'all as well. So please do join the conversation. It takes an entire privacy village. Oh, yes, absolutely. So thanks again for listening to yet another episode of Serious Privacy. You'll find Kay on social media as Heart of Privacy, myself as Europol B, and the podcast at at Podcast Privacy. Next week, we'll be live from Stockholm. So see you there. See you then. Hear you then. Goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. So, Kay, did you hear that the Trust Start Trust Center is revolutionizing the way businesses manage trust? I did. And with the Trust Center, achieving customer trust is no longer a months-long process. It can be just days. Yeah. Have you been in a situation where a customer wanted information and you need to scramble to find everything? Just imagine all of that was at hand in one central hub with info on privacy, legal, security, compliance, system availability. Yeah, you can lower your legal, regulatory, and reputational risk with instant updates and speed up your sales cycle with private and public document sharing. Trust Center solves the problem of red tape and dependencies, ensuring your trust and safety information is accurate, compliant, and available. And you know the best part? You'll save time and cost. How often have you gone to multiple departments and it's taken weeks so you can remove bottlenecks and effortlessly streamline your efforts? Trust Center, trust becomes your key differentiator in today's digital economy. Experienced enhanced customer trust, operational speed, and efficiency while enjoying comprehensive coverage for diverse stakeholders. So why wait? Start streamlining trust management with TrustArc's Trust Center. Visit trustarc.com slash more dash trust. That is trustarc.com 
slash more dash trust. There's a lot of trust in that. A lot of trust. 